It was about 10 years ago that I began to lean into the reality of unexpected things. In my less mature days, um, I had the habit of responding to surprise or emergencies with fear and anxiety. I would let them lead the way, if you will. And these are not good feelings, and they often get in the way of me fully experiencing what is happening. And so I began to wonder for myself what would happen if I responded to unexpected events with curiosity. I began to ask, I wonder what unexpected thing will happen today. I have found this experience linking my fear with curiosity to be soothing most of the time. Somehow, my desire to wonder in tension with my anxiety keeps me open to whatever is happening. Life, as we all know, is full of the unexpected, and those moments hold a great capacity for connection and hope. Well, the unexpected thing for today, or at least the first one, is that Lisa, our preacher, is unable to be with us this morning. She's okay, but something unexpected has happened, and she needed to be somewhere else. So here I am, your preacher for the day. The unexpected things keep coming. I've been ordained for over two decades. Um, For the last nine years prior to coming here, I preached pretty much every Sunday of the year. You can do the math, nine times, let's say, 48. It's a lot of sermons. So my first thing was to pull up my previous sermons and just, you know, preach one from before. You've never heard it. Maybe it'll be okay. (laughs) How many times have I preached on Epiphany 4, year A? Never. (laughs) How does that happen? So I began to wonder. Wonder what the sermon's going to be like today. Chapters 5 to 8 of Matthew's Gospel are commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest teaching in the Gospel. It's not his first teaching. His first teaching comes, we heard it last week, after John is arrested. He comes before the people and he says, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. Follow me. And then he begins to heal and cure the crowd and welcome them wherever he goes. He looks at the crowd, and he goes up a mountain, and then he sits down. For well-tuned listeners to the gospel of Jesus and our old and ancient wise teachers, we know that what comes next is really, really important. That is the gospel's way of telling us, be alert, pay attention. Everything that comes next sets the stage for everything that will come after that. If we had only three chapters of Matthew's gospel, this would be all we would need. Chapters 5 to 8. And we're going to read consistently from these chapters over the next few weeks, but we will never make it out of chapter 5. I commend to you, I commend to you, at least once in the next month, before Lent, which is February the 22nd, open a Bible and read chapters 5 through 8 and wonder how these teachings of Jesus might transform you and us. There's just a whole lot here. Jesus begins, though, with blessing. 
And these blessings expose our reality, what it means to be human, and how God responds to our reality. Blessed are you when you grieve. Blessed are the merciful and the humble and the persecuted. Now, we may not experience blessing in any of those moments, but there was a promise, a hope given, that we will be comforted, we will receive mercy, we will come close to God. Now, Lisa had prepared a sermon for today, and she sent it to me, and it's beautiful, and I hope we are able to post it for you to read. But in her sermon, one of the things she does is she links the circumstantial, the circumstances of our lives with the permanent. She writes, these beatitudes are about more than happiness. Happy is an emotion that affects our well-being. It is a response to circumstances. Happiness is connected to what happens in our lives. And so when our circumstances change, happiness can be temporary, circumstantial. Happiness and joy, though, are connected. Joy is an internal happiness, a state of being that rests not on our circumstance, but in our Christian life, on our identity of who we are and where we're going and how we might get there, of who and whose we are. In other words, if we follow our circumstances, we may find momentary happiness. But if we follow Christ, If we seek Christ's way in our lives, we will find God's presence in every circumstance. I often encourage couples to use the Beatitudes, our gospel today, in their wedding. Marriage is one way, just one way, that our culture marks community the binding of two people together as a household, an intimate household. Living in any community, church, school, cities, even nations, is hard work. And marriage is no exception. Marriage is intimate and vulnerable. It exposes the best of who we are and the worst of who we are is also great work. Because of the intimacy and vulnerability, there is the capacity of marriage to make space for us to grow in love, to practice compassion and kindness, humility and patience. We may enter into marriage expecting to be happy. The best outcome of marriage, though, is joy. The realization that the vulnerability of being human We have found community. Now, I realize that the metaphor of marriage will fall apart pretty quickly and pretty fast. We're not all married. Marriage is not the end-all, be-all of community and partnership. And not all marriages are joy-filled. And the metaphor of community, though, the metaphor of community stands strong. Enter into life 
ready to practice the hard work of love. And God will transform us and our communities. Following Christ's way forms us into a manifestation of God's love, and it rearranges us. We were not made for perfect, easy lives. God made us to lean in to the hard work of community. God invites us to love one another so deeply that we are blessed in our mourning. God invites us to a poverty of spirit that we may come close to God's spirit. God invites us to give up the kingdom of ourselves for the glory of the kingdom of God. This is who we're made to be, children of God who offer our lives to loving God and our neighbor more than we love ourselves. Now, in her sermon, Reverend Corey takes a very hard left turn, but it is a word that must be spoken. She speaks directly to the current circumstances in Memphis after the murder of Tyree Nichols. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. She writes, There have been moments in headlines and interviews where Mr. Nichols' family has spoken out and called for calm in response to what has happened. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Tyree's family is certainly not at all happy right now. In fact, the pain and suffering are unimaginable. But they are demonstrating the character of the kingdom of God. Here, Reverend Corey reminds us that the reality of our lives is more than the moment. And it is often those experiencing the greatest pain who show us the way. It is those who grieve, who remind us who and whose we are. We are God's beloved, and we have hope. If we seek the kingdom of heaven, we will find it, and it will sustain us in every way, in our grief, in our humility, in our poverty, and in our hope. It is true. It is so very true that we live in a broken and hurting world. There is violence in our community, in our nation. The war in the Ukraine is still going on. There is poverty all across our city and our nation throughout creation. There is a lot to steal our happiness. Jesus comes right into the midst of this reality and takes it all upon himself into his own life and reminds us who and whose we are. When we follow Christ's ways, we are more than our reality and our circumstance. When we follow Christ, the kingdom of God comes close to us. When we follow Christ, We resist fear and anxiety, violence and unmerciful power. When we follow Christ, 
we root ourselves in compassion and mercy for ourselves, our community, and our neighbor. Today, may we know God's blessings and may we make Christ known in the midst of every circumstance.